You're listening to the Lost Chill Podcast with Katie and Kimmy. For years now, I have had the pleasure of listening to the wit, banter, and pure joy from these two, and now I invite you to share in the delight of listening to them discuss the books they're currently reading. Whether you are a fellow dedicated bibliophile or simply wish you had more time to read, you will love hearing the insight and discussions around the stories they dive into. So grab a cup of coffee or pour a glass of wine and let's jump on in. Katie and Kimmy, take it away. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Lost Chill Podcast, where the pronunciations are made up and the stars don't matter. I'm Katie. And I'm Kimmy. We are your marvelous hosts. Welcome to another episode of the Lost Chill Podcast. We can't wait to get into this week's book discussion. We've switched to every other Tuesday for releasing podcast episodes, but while you're waiting for those new episodes to drop, we will be releasing a new blog post every week. There is not an episode. Plus, you can always head over to Instagram and find us there. Over on Kimmy's Lost Chill, you can find me talking about nearly all genres of books with heavy Taylor Swift references, long, wordy reviews, everyone's favorite because after all, we're all readers, (laughs) and frequent pictures of Jackson, the Mile High Dog. He's famous, you know. True. Head over to Katie's Lost Chill for brief reviews that are always spoiler-free, plus plenty of my traveling adventures and my dog Wrigley coming in cute with the photo bombs. Aww. We do also have an Instagram that's dedicated to just our podcast, which of course you can find at The Lost Chill. Be sure to follow us there so you never miss all of our exciting announcements from upcoming books we'll be featuring to Zoom chats we'll be hosting with authors, plus many more fun things on the horizon. Mm -hmm. So we're so happy to have you tuning in with us. Whether it's your first episode or you've been with us here from the beginning, Please let us know that you're enjoying the Lost Chill podcast by subscribing and leaving us a review. The more ratings and reviews we get, the more we're able to grow our podcast. So please do that. We'd appreciate it so much. All right. All right. I think it's time to get to the reason we're all here. Let's talk books. It's finally October. The leaves are falling. The lattes are pumpkin spiced. Mm Mmm. That sounded creepy. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's spooky season. (laughs) (laughs) And it is spooky season, so I mean, like, it's fine, right? It's fine. Everything's fine. fine. Okay. With the temperatures dropping and the sky getting dark so much earlier, many people are ready for their reads to get a little darker. Suspense, thriller, and horror books are popping up all over at Bookstagram. Have you been indulging in a little spooky season mood reading, Katie? Well, I love spooky books so much that I read them year-round. But what I have been doing this year is reading more from my all-time favorite author, the king of horror, Stephen King. It's Stephen King season! (laughs) What a time to be alive. I personally find Stephen King fascinating in general, Just because he's a household name, regardless if you're a reader or not, regardless of if you've even read anything by him or not. I've also noticed that he's pretty polarizing. People either worship him like you or avoid him based off reputation like I used to. But luckily, I am so blessed to have you in life as a best friend. And so I've learned that Stephen King is much broader than just a horror author. I get so excited every single time that you read a Stephen King book. I love to see it. 
I get what you mean, though. People get so intimidated by him, and I think a lot of it is the horror reputation. But he is just so prolific and has so many works that I'm constantly meeting people who are curious but just have no idea where to start. Between Katie's love of Stephen King, my uncertainty, we kind of figured that there were lots of readers like us. And so this week, we're dedicating an entire episode to Stephen King. While it is mostly geared towards those curious about Stephen King, the readers more in Katie's boats who are already fans will love hearing our thoughts on some of his works, and we would love to hear from Stephen King fans about what we should read next from his backlog. So without further ado, Katie, please tell us about your favorite writer. Oh, I have been dying to do this since the beginning of this podcast. I'm going to go take a nap or something. Yeah, I'm going to be here for a minute. I should get comfortable. Yeah, get comfortable. You're going to be here for a second. So first and foremost, Stephen King has been gracing us with his writing for 54 freaking years. That's a long time. He's penned 63 novels with his 64th slated to be released February 2022. That will be the third and final book in the Gwendy series written by, or excuse me, written with Richard Chismar. I think is how you say that. Not really sure. Stephen King started as an English teacher making $6,400 a year, and him and his wife, Tabitha, lived in a trailer working extra side jobs to make ends meet. For Stephen King, this included writing short stories, some of which were even published in Playboy and others, other men's magazines. Carrie was his first ever book. This book dealt with extreme bullying and psychological abuse at home from, for the main character, Carrie. She ends up getting the ultimate revenge at the end, though. The introduction to this book was one of my absolute favorites I have ever read by him or any other author. It was raw and poignant. And in the introduction, he said that if it wasn't for his wife, Tabitha, he never would have published Carrie. He was wanting to get this story out on paper, but thought it was awful, so he threw it in the trash. Tabitha came along, saw it in the trash, read it, and encouraged him to finish it. The rest is history. The idea for this story also comes from two girls that he went to high school with, one of which was developmentally delayed, the other was ultra-religious, and just did not fit in. They were heavily bullied, and Stephen King knew It was wrong, but never did anything to step in. He always thought about those girls and thought about if their lives would have been different if he had stepped in. Both girls died in young adulthood, and Carrie was based on a combination of these girls who he still refuses to name. Can I just say I'm shocked that you read that because it basically sounds like acknowledgments, but he knew you you don't read those. He knew before you were even born that you don't read those. So he put it in front and called it an introduction and was like, now she won't avoid it. Yeah, this is perfect for me. I, he, he, <laughs> he, he knew people don't read the acknowledgments. Right, like it's genius. Put it at the beginning of the book <laughs> because they'll read it there. It's genius. I mean, I read it regardless. I know. That's one of my other least favorite things about ARCs is that they don't put the acknowledgments. Yeah. In the 70s, Stephen King wanted to publish more than one book a year, but was advised against it by his publisher. So he used the pseudonym Richard Bachman, and he published seven titles under that name. Ultimately, someone realized that he had a similar style to Bachman and exposed him. 
King then announced that Bachman died of complications from cancer of the pseudonym. I thought it was hilarious. Come on. That is pretty funny. It's weird when people use pseudonyms now and people like automatically know so quickly. Why? I feel like they don't get away with it as long as he did. Oh, in seven books is a long time. Yeah. Well, because I feel like uh, J.K. Rowling, mm. like it came out like instantly. Yeah. Like, like she's writing a book under a synonym. And I, neither of us have followed Riley Sager from his beginning. Right. But that's also not that hidden. So yeah. it just, I think it's kind of cool that he was able to keep it low key. Different yeah. world then. But yeah. also I'm like, why do people do it now? Because everyone knows immediately. Well, it's um, from what I learned from Riley Sager, it's because of publishing. If you write under your real name and you have flops like he did, and then you have something that's absolute gold and you take it to um, a literary agent and they're like, this is amazing. We're going to take it to an editor, um, but you have some crap work. So we're going to put it under another name. (laughs) (laughs) That's what happened to him. Yeah. So there's other books out there under his real name. Uh, It's Todd something or other. And um, (laughs) you can go check those out if you want, but they're apparently flops. I've already read a flop by him. So anyways. Ouch. (laughs) (laughs) So Stephen King is currently the author that holds the title of the most film adaptations of his books coming in at 50. Between The Shining, It, The Green Mile, Shawshank Redemption, Pet Cemetery, Carrie, and The Mist are just some of his more popular titles. Some of those 50 adaptations have been done multiple times, like Pet Cemetery, It, and Carrie, among others that have been done by different creative minds. This list just includes the films. He has had even more on the small screen. So that's just 50 films. If there's any aspiring filmmakers out there, he allows anyone trying to get into the business to buy the film rights to any of his short stories for a singular $1 bill. Can multiple people do that then? I was actually wondering that. I didn't look that up though. Um, I would assume so because it's a little bit different than like giving the rights to a production company, but I could be completely wrong. I would assume that multiple people can because multiple people have done different adaptations of his work. I don't know. Interesting. I don't know. Very interesting. So Stanley Kubrick's 1980s adaptation of The Shining was a sore spot for Stephen King. He hated what Kubrick did in the film. However, this is probably one of Stephen King's most popular and well-known adaptations adapted films it is my favorite jack nicholson in my mind did a phenomenal job portraying jack torrance he was creepy crazy and believable and this famous scene where jack torrance breaks down the door yelling here's johnny i can't do a very good impression (laughs) (laughs) i thought that was on point thank you i was like whoa jack nicholson (laughs) whoa With his wife, Wendy, played by Shelley Duvall, crying next to the door, was a very controversial scene for the way it was filmed. According to the crew, they did over 100 takes of this scene. And Kubrick was criticized for making his actors do repeated takes like this over and over for this film, causing psychological distress. That's surprising. I didn't think they would ever care back then. 
They do now. Yeah. Um, I believe, I don't remember where I heard this and I could be completely making it up, but I believe that Shelley Duvall stopped acting after this because she was so traumatized. That's really yeah. sad. Yeah. Um, she... She it, there was a whole slew of things. I I think I was watching like um some sort of documentary on the movie or horror movies or something, and um they were talking specifically about this and like they only allowed Jack Nicholson to eat like five hundred calories a day so that he would be super angry and just crazy in the scene and it was pretty traumatic. And there was also a couple of scenes too where they did that with the child actor who played Danny. Um, so just a messed up filming. The character of Jack Torrance is a struggling alcoholic and one of Stephen King's wonderful pieces of advice that he likes to share is write what you know. Well, he knows quite a lot of bit, quite a lot of bit. <laughs> That's some great English. He knows quite... <laughs> quite a lot of bit. <laughs> quite a lot of bit. Well, he knows quite a bit about this. He himself struggled with drinking in his younger years, and during this time he wrote Cujo, but does not remember remember writing it. That's intense. Yeah. That's bad. And he doesn't say it as like a, oh, woe is me, or oh, this is a terrible time in my life. He's like, it happened and I really like that story. I wish I could remember the good parts of it. Like that's how he says it. And it's kind of odd. Um, but thankfully he has been sober for a few decades now. His family had staged an intervention in the eighties and he became a member of AA. So it sounds like it got really bad after that shining adaptation. <laughs> Ooh, sick bird. Okay. <laughs> Here's a fun fact, Kimmy. You're going to hate this, though. The number 13 scares him. I don't hate it. I think it's funny that, Do you? that my favorite number scares the king of horror. <laughs> Boo, me and Taylor Swift will just freak him the fuck yeah. out. Just start yelling 13 at him if you ever meet him. <laughs> So he will not stop his writing if the page number is a 13 or a multiple of 13. So he has the exact opposite of your love for 13, and I am so sorry. But one thing that you two do share is your love for reading. He is reported to have read all 17,000 books in his personal library over the years. And he fortunately writes a lot of different genres, which I do not think that people realize. A lot of people always say to me, I don't like to read Stephen King because I think I will get too scared. Well, I am here to tell you he writes so many different kinds of fiction. And once again, for the people in the back, he is not just a horror writer. He has typical horror fare, but he also has other genres like dystopian, which is an example of that is The Running Man, contemporary fiction. The Body, which is adapted into the screen version, which is Stand By Me, and Psychological Thrillers, A Good Marriage, Fantasy, The Dark Tower series, and so many others that don't quite fit into this horror genre. This concludes my brief history 
on Stephen King. And we're out of time. (laughs) (laughs) So Katie and I have a running joke that she'll write a synopsis or author histories and it's like supposed to be brief and just, you know, quick and snappy. (laughs) She just goes on and on. (laughs) So now I must relentlessly tease her about this forever. (laughs) I don't know how many text messages I got while writing this script that says, please be brief in your history on Stephen King. And then (laughs) please be brief. A picture of some briefs. Yeah, I said said brief pictures. (laughs) (laughs) And that is a brief synopsis in history on Stephen King. Well, good night, folks. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you. So going back to what you were just talking about, one of the things I didn't realize about his works were the variety of genres that he has. However, to take it a step further... I have been learning that horror is less specific than I used to think. I was expecting like just slasher and gore, basically. Maybe ghost stories, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So all three Stephen King books that I have read, which are 112263, Billy Summers, and Dolores Claiborne have horror labels. But I don't think I would have ever used horror to describe their best fitting genre. How would you describe these ones? I would probably call 112263 a historical fiction sci-fi blend, Billy Summers as a suspense mystery, and Dolores Claiborne as a mysterious thriller. So I haven't read Dolores Claiborne, but I've read the other two. And I absolutely 100% agree with you on that because Billy Summers is nowhere near a horror. 112263 has some paranormal or normal yeah yeah it does get suspenseful but honestly i don't remember even too much like i was like on the edge of my seat which i guess is suspense to a degree it is but it wasn't like the creepy feelings of dread gonna jump out and get you yeah jump scares yes yeah so i will probably eventually read dolores claiborne because you're really selling it for me Going back to the horror genre angle, J.A. Cudden, who was a literary historian, defined the horror story as a piece of fiction in prose of variable length, which shocks or even frightens the reader or perhaps induces a feeling of repulsion or loathing, end quote. That's a pretty broad definition. If we're going on that, particularly the induction of repulsion or loathing, then the Queen's Gambit could be considered <laughs> horror. Yeah. And if we're really going to get crazy, any book that you don't finish or dislike strongly enough could be in that genre as well. So I have hated some books. <laughs> Same. So no disrespect to J.A. Cudden, but I just can't say I agree with that definition completely. I will say I used to think that horror was pure good old-fashioned slasher gore, To me, shock value isn't even enough to earn that horror label. I would say it's easier for me to come up with what I would call a horror film, such as Saw Mm -hmm. or something like that. To me, that's horror. Maybe Frankenstein or Dracula when we're getting to books, but I haven't read those myself. And I I guess I never really thought about like what genres those would even be. Because I don't don't know much about like the true storyline, maybe just retellings that are molded in their own possible way so i don't even think would necessarily be completely true to their original genre necessarily 
So going back to how books are labeled, the whole shocking and repulsed feeling reminds me of The Maidens. I still haven't read that one. Okay. So there's a lot of shocked value. And I think he wanted to make you feel repulsed. But that one doesn't have a horror label. So a part of me thinks that Stephen King books just automatically get those labels for being a Stephen King book. Yeah, and I think you're right. Because in the 70s when he started writing his books, this was not a common genre. The horror, the suspense, all of that. Carrie and Salem's Lot were his first two books and they were definitely horror. <laughs> so maybe he had sort of become typecast as an author because that's just how he got his start. And if anyone takes anything away from this episode of this podcast, I hope that it's Stephen King is so much more than a horror writer and that his books can appeal to so many different kinds of readers. Overall, I just think that genres are a very tricky thing. We see them... All the time on Bookstagram, when people are left feeling incredibly let down by a book that was released as a certain genre, and so they expect that from the story, and then after reading, they don't think it fits in that genre. So let's take a look at historical fiction, for example. Where does that even begin, historical fiction? Malibu Rising is set in the 80s and has the historical fiction label on Goodreads, but Survive the Night, which is just a decade later, does not. <laughs> You're historical. <laughs> Shut up. That hurts. <laughs> Jerk. Right. So on one hand, I would not read too much into the horror reputation that Stephen King's books get. A lot of them get that. I would disagree from the ones I have read. Mm-hmm. What that label even means is debatable. If you want a horror story, he has plenty of options. You got Carrie, The Shining, Salem's Lot, Cujo, It, Pet Cemetery, just to name a few. Personally, Salem's Lot was the scariest one that I have read by him. That book fucked me up. Ugh, which kills me because I have been like curious about that one. Only because you know I like vampires. <laughs> and just so everyone is clear, I am not like a Twilight lover of vampires. I am a lover of singing Taylor Swift in a Dracula voice. And I've had some thoughts of... It's in October. My, <laughs> it is October. Maybe I will share some of that with you guys soon on Instagram. Uh, but I just like that. I have told Katie and Lindsay my own idea about a vampire story <laughs> that was oh, actually Jesus. very well thought out and perfect and interesting. It wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, I'm not going to tell anyone for when I ever do get around to writing a book. <laughs> Hater. You're historical. So. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but if you don't want to feel completely terrified and as if you must hide your book in the freezer a la Joey Tribbiani, there are many other options. Some are suspenseful and mysterious without being outright scary. I have not been scared by any of my Stephen King novels. I mentioned them earlier along with their genre, and I would honestly recommend them all if you aren't looking to be scared. 112263 was my first Stephen King, and it's truly an amazing book. It's pretty hefty, 
So I can see that also intimidating people. I would totally recommend Billy Summers or Dolores Claiborne. I listened to both on audiobook. They were so well done and captivating. Hats off to the narrators. Um, I will get to them more in depth later, but I just want to reiterate that if you're looking for not scary, these ones are a pretty good bet. I am a scaredy cat, and none of them got put in the freezer. (laughs) I have been uncomfortable in most, though, so there's that. So there's definitely a common theme with him. More than anything, he really likes to make people uncomfortable. That often comes across many different ways in his books. The scenes that make me the most uncomfortable usually involve some sort of rape or mistreating of people in general. We can go back full circle back to J.A. Cudden's definition of horror, making the reader uncomfortable. But so many other books that are not labeled as horror have made me uncomfortable too. The good news is that in two out of three of those books that I've read, go back to how Katie was talking about um, how it usually involves rape or something, a lot of sexual abuse sometimes. Um, In two of the three books I've read, justice is served. Mm Mm-hmm. However, in one of them, of the ones where justice was served, I did feel that it was like too graphic and in-depth and we didn't need that much detail or focus on it. Was it Billy Summers? Yeah. I, like, personally as a reader, I just didn't appreciate that. It just felt unnecessary and superfluous. Like, have a point and contribute to the story. If I wanted to read something just to be uncomfortable and have my skin crawl... I would just go to the comment section of a political news story. (laughs) Um, It's funny that you say that it needs to have some sort of meaning in the story um, because there's a very famous scene in it uh, of a rape. I did not enjoy it, obviously. Um, Thankfully, it was omitted from the newest movies. Um, but it's just very graphic and it, I didn't feel like it really contributed a whole lot to the story. I think that the story would have been just fine without that. I enjoy this genre, obviously, but it's those things that are just too graphic that really just, they don't even scare me. They don't even make me feel uncomfortable. I just don't like them. Just flat out don't like them. If that makes any sort of sense i get it and i i mean i feel uncomfortable because i don't like it and but i feel uncomfortable when it fits the story i feel like that's yeah part of what makes me human sure not saying that you're not a human i am human she's a robot yeah that's what that was i even did my robot (laughs) hands um but i just don't like it when it's completely adds nothing it just I need something to do it. And I've read other pretty graphic novels, but it was explained so well and like kind of showed the depth of the trauma as opposed to just being like, well, have my story done. How can I go back and make it more uncomfortable and add that shock value? It it almost just takes away from the story when it's too much and just leaves the reader cringing. Yeah. So like in Billy Summers, like we got what the dude was doing. He was a pedophile. Yeah. 
great. Go kill him. <laughs> Go we, kill him. That sentence alone makes us all want him dead. Right. With your vigilante justice. Right. We don't need to go further into any details. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. One of Stephen King's most famous quotes is, Monsters are real. Ghosts are real too. They live inside us and sometimes they win. I feel like this is part of the reason Stephen King writes the way that he does. Yes, it's heavy and often dark, but it's also human, which is kind of terrible to say if you think about it. He does it in a way that really makes you think, pushes you past the limits of your comfort zone, but he doesn't shy away from the horrors of humanity and often uses symbolism to demonstrate a lot of this. I would say to not let this keep you away. If you are curious about a specific book, but worried that it might be too much, you can definitely research it and see when you can skip over those parts. Sometimes things that make you uncomfortable still end up being great stories. For example, my discomfort and being scared of feelings. Fuck you. (laughs) I snuck a line into our script to troll Caitlin and I just got her so good. You're an asshole. <laughs> so I'll finish lying because I don't know if she can. But for example, Katie feels a lot of discomfort and she's scared of feelings, but she still loves Kristen Hannah books. <laughs> and there you have it. I should have read this paragraph that you put in at the last freaking moment. She watched me write it too. It was all right in front of her face. I wasn't watching the script. Damn it. Oh, that was great. Thank I got to go now. I'm busy. I've tried to do this to her for months now. <laughs> she always reads it and catches it. The one time. Today. The one time. Damn it. So the discomfort, (laughs) I'm still laughing. So the discomfort is something that Stephen King likes to put in his books. But he does have a few other common themes, like how he gets deeply political. And I I won't say deeply political. He doesn't like get out on a soapbox or anything. He makes a lot of political references. And takes jabs, I would say. He does. Maybe that's getting political. I have read that he uses it as an as a way to anchor his story into the time frame that he's working in. And so I can see and get that and find it okay. I've read multiple people who agree with Stephen King's political stances, specifically with Donald Trump, and they thought it was too much in Billy Summers. Like, that was just constant jabs. Yeah. It was like, <laughs> Billy Summer looked out the window and remembered how much he fucking hated Donald Trump. Oh my Trump. gosh, it was so bad. And... It was, I don't, I feel like no matter what side of the aisle you were on, it took away from the story. I saw many people say, like I said, many people who agree with how Stephen King feels. Yeah. Everyone was just like, okay. It was, it was too much Donald Trump and too much COVID. It could have all been taken out. Yes. And it would have been fine. Mention who the president is to make it relevant to the times, but we don't need to just keep rehashing and keep Again, jabbing. Again, going back to some of some of those discomfort things. Yeah. Um, add to the story. Don't just mm-hmm. put these things in and just take away and detract. And ugh, I don't yeah. like it. That that was a lot different than a lot of his other books. Normally, it's 
he he has a severe hatred for Trump. It's obvious he's Trump blocked him on Twitter and every form of social media because it was so aggressive. Um, but I think that that's where it comes from a deep just dislike for him. So he felt the need to use his platform in his book to push his thoughts. I don't know because it's never referenced that much except in the book about JFK's assassination, which is about JFK. A little. (laughs) Just a little. (laughs) Another popular one that is in most but not all is paranormal and supernatural stuff. This is broad and not at all redundant, but it can be the main focus of a book or pretty subtle. That's true. I I mean, we have in 112263, we have the time travel, mm-hmm. which is cool and specific because he goes to the same time every time. <laughs> That's why it's specific. Sorry. I was, I was like, where are you going with that? <laughs> it, uh, it, you're right. It is specific. It's time travel. <laughs> Awkward. Mm-hmm. And then what are some other ones that you've seen? I in I know about the vampires in Salem's Lot. Vampires in the Salem's Lot. I guess there are ghosts in The Shining. Um, that's cool. If not, so I guess speaking of ghosts from the Overlook Hotel, I had forgotten about that. I was like, oh, Billy Summers isn't paranormal, but it does do that in reference. It to does. Shining. It does, and it references when Billy Summers is writing in that little cottage on the back of the property. It references that picture of the Overlook Hotel that keeps being creepy. Um, the Overlook is where The Shining took place. Uh, it's <laughs> I thought it was the Stanley. Stanley Hotel is in our state. Oh. Yes. Where they filmed which it. They didn't film it there. Oh, they didn't? No. Um, they did. What Where the Stanley plays into it is he stayed, Stephen King stayed at the Stanley one night oh. and he was sleeping and he woke up from this terrible dream, like in this cold sweat panic that in the hotel, his son was being chased by something and that he kept looking over his shoulder, much like Danny does in the movie in The Shining. I, I'll talk about that in a second. But um, he said that he got up, lit a cigarette, and by the end of the cigarette, he was already on his way to having a solid outline for what was going to happen in The Shining. Have you stayed there? I have not. Every single that time. That's shocking. Every single time I have tried to stay there, something bad has happened and forced me to cancel. Oh my. I used to, maybe like two or three times when I was in high school, my friends and I would have sleepovers or whatever, and we would drive up to Estes really? Park, and we snuck in there. We never, like, had a real stay, but we would, like, roam the hall tonight. But, like, weird things still happen. Like, like what? Like, there was a couch in front of someone's door. Yeah. We would just crazy. hear weird sounds. But also, we were running amok, so people were probably like, and I heard these crazy sounds <laughs> of children running up and down. Oh, I was shaking. <laughs> it was me. It was you guys. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's hilarious. Um... So I actually haven't read The Shining, um, which I'm in the process of reading it now. I had hoped to be done by the time we recorded this, but adulting. 
and um, I didn't have time to read. Shame. I know. Maybe my thank shame you. bell from Game of yeah, Thrones, which you also you. haven't seen. Shame. I have seen it. I didn't like shame. it. Shame. You haven't seen the shame bell. Yes, I have. You've watched that far in? Uh, I had a husband that watched that far in, and oh. I sat there and read books while he watched <sighs> Why the... didn't he come to our finale party? I thought he did. Mm-mm. Oh. Anyway. <laughs> Now that we've gone so off topic, I haven't finished that book yet. Um, so I don't know specifically in the book, The Shining, if there's poltergeist activity um, in the book or excuse me, in the movie. It's more of uh, Jack is an alcoholic and goes crazy. Hmm. But there's also like The Shining. In, I won't say too much. I don't want to give the movie part away because I don't know how it correlates with the book. So okay. I will leave it at that. <laughs> Thank you for your service. My brief synopsis. So brief. Always. So one of my favorite things that we kind of just touched on with Billy Summers and The Shining, uh, one of my favorite things that Stephen King does is his Easter eggs in Interconnected Worlds. We know that I live for how that is worked into Taylor Swift's art. And I love her lyrical parallels. And it's just fun. Having only read three Stephen King books, I can't connect all of his books and worlds. But in Dolores Claiborne, there are a few times where they talk about if someone were to get arrested, they would go to Shawshank, which obviously refers to the prison in Rita Hayworth and Shawshank Redemption, more commonly known for its movie title, movie adaptation title of Shawshank Redemption. I should have made you say that. No. There are also a few times where Dolores Claiborne can just see another random girl in some paranormal bit. So I, uh, that's where it talks about third eyes, too. Uh-huh. Kind of, I don't know how separate or together these things are, but basically she, it's like she has a third eye at times where she can like almost see the future or things that she like knows will happen mm-hmm. unless she does something. So it's not even like complete future predicting. It's like a knowledge thing. It's paranormal. Okay. But then there are times where she just sees like a vision of this other random girl and thinks she can even hear her. And I was super confused by like what even that exactly meant. And so I looked on the Goodreads Q&A section and other people were luckily confused as well. (laughs) So they asked. And it turns out that it's a direct reference to some specific scenes in the book Gerald's Game. Interesting. And apparently that's like the same universe and it's a sister novel, but don't have to read in any order. They yeah. both came out in the same year. Crazy. I absolutely love when he does the Easter eggs too. Um, and he often puts books in the same universe. Sometimes it's one that could be in ours, like what you've talked about already. And he also likes to set things in Maine or Colorado, Derry, Castle Rock, and Jerusalem's Jerusalem's lot are specific towns that he mentions a lot. Other times he has even gone as far as to create new universes and place multiple novels within there. For example, there's Keystone's Earth and Maturin, I believe is how you say that, where some very big novels and series such as It... The Dark Tower and The Stand take place. It adds a layer of fun when you start doing, when you do start reading more of his work to start piecing it together and catching on to all of his references. 
It's one of my favorite things. It is so fun. It is. Uh, there is a, a shit ton in Billy Summers. That's awesome. A shit ton. I do think that does add a level of fun. That is probably part of the reason why my Taylor Swift love <laughs> has just grown so much because it's more than just music and it's just a fun thing to do. I was tickled when I heard them mention Shawshank and I was like, oh my God, I know that I one. caught one. <laughs> so I'll be honest also though, I didn't even know until probably this year when we started talking about Stephen King more that Shawshank Redemption was based off something he had written. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't. Um, So I'm glad that you went right back to Shawshank Redemption because I wanted to use that to highlight some parts of his skills. We've touched a lot on Stephen King's reputation already, both for writing horror and large books. I like big books and I cannot lie. Okay. Well, Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption is actually a novella from Stephen King called different seasons which includes four different stories all of which are good enough to be turned into insanely popular movies stand by me is another insanely popular movie that's based on the novella the body from the same collection apt pupil was also made into a movie by the same name and the fourth story is called the breathing method that has been cited to be directed by scott dickerson i'm almost intrigued by that but not quite because which one? I know it will drive me mad. The breathing method. Mm. Do you want to know why? Why? It's referring to breathing during child labor. <laughs> and so it's like it's like anti-shark propaganda. And it just makes me mad when like that's the horror. I'm like, you're making sharks misunderstood. And you're making child labor seem like the scary and worst thing ever. So I don't appreciate. Well, not child labor. I mean, that is the worst thing ever, but maybe like birth, labor and delivery, (laughs) labor and delivery, child labor does still suck for the record. (laughs) Anyways, I don't, you snuck that line in there. I'm going to get you back. Okay. So I don't like when stuff that already has a hard enough time and gets bad reps just gets compounded with these things. So, but I also kind of want to read it to see where he goes with it, but I also don't. And it's also, I like Jaws though. I love Jaws, but Jaws ruined the lives of sharks. They're misunderstood toddlers to quote a special friend of mine. It's me. (laughs) Um, I have not read Jaws because I'm worried about it, even though I like the movie. Uh, But I do have a book right now upstairs from the library from, for my daughter called Misunderstood Shark. (laughs) Oh, anyways. Going back to this collection of short stories called Different Seasons, have you read any of those? I know you had loved another collection of short stories by him that you lent to me. I was too scared. So tell me about those, maybe. Yeah, I have not read any of um, those stories that you're talking about. Um, But my most favorite short story collection of his was Everything's Eventual, which is the one I gave you to read, but you pulled a Joey and chickened out. (laughs) So I love it so much that I actually keep it on my desk instead of my Stephen King bookshelf. And the second story in that book is called The Man in the Black Suit. If you will recall on our first episode, I talked about a Stephen King book scaring the shit out of me while I was on maternity leave. This was the book. So I'll share the story again. I was home in the middle of the summer day. My beautiful baby boy was fast asleep. 
So I took some me time to read In My Silent House in the middle of a sunny afternoon. That story scared me so much that as soon as I finished it, I closed the book, turned on the TV, and tried to distract myself as much as I could, and I have never reread that story because it scared me so much. (laughs) (laughs) And you love it. I do. You're such a weirdo. I know. (laughs) So another book of his um, that's a short story collection, his first one was called The Night Shift. That was published in 1977. That book has The Children of the Corn. I don't think I realized he did that one. Really? Mm -hmm. No? Um, It also has Night Surf in it, which was the inspiration for The Stand. The Children of the Corn was my favorite story in that book. Skeleton Crew is another short story book. Uh, That's actually my husband's favorite one of his. Collections? Yeah. Um, And that had The Mist in it which was eventually turned into a standalone novella. I recently read that one. It's creepy. Not something I would really recommend. And then his most recent story compilation is called If It Bleeds, which is which the book's namesake is a story that is a follow-up to The Outsider. So you probably won't understand that story unless you've read The Outsider, I would assume. Uh, that was a great book. One of the stories in that book, though, really stood out to me, The Life of Chuck. It literally had me scouring the interwebs in the middle of the night to try and find other people who had read it so that I could talk about it with them. This was before I knew all about Bookstagram and the Bookstagram community, or I probably would have headed there because I read it pretty much the day it came out or the day after. So like nobody I knew had read it. And it was just a moment of, what the fuck did I just read? So I unfortunately did not find anybody to talk about it with at that point. Are you going to try again? To read that story again? I actually... No, to reach out to people to talk about it. Oh, I can. Like, I don't... Are you going to, like, get into some little Stephen King group and you guys can all discuss your things? Yeah, a fan group. We're going to go to uh, Maine and just camp outside his house. Yeah. I actually ended up talking about it with some gals at work so eventually yeah eventually um as far as rereading that other story though uh i picked it up today oh i did because i was just referencing that book (sighs) how do the other books relate are they like up there just not that high yeah 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 um i picked it up again and i turned to the page where it starts and I read like the first paragraph and I noped out of there. I was like, nope, not there yet. (laughs) I don't know why. It probably isn't really even that insanely scary, but I was like home by myself. I don't know. I don't know. It's probably not that bad. Okay. Well, I'm glad you recommend it, but not twice. <laughs> I still will probably never specifically read everything's eventual. Yeah, I'm I think that one might be too much for you. Probably. I may read some other short stories by him at some point, but I don't know. We'll see. It's killing me now, though. Tell me your top three recommended Stephen King books. So, numero three. We'll go backwards. Ooh. Yeah. I recently read A Good Marriage. Yet another book I went into blind. 
I was instantly hooked into this one, though. I absolutely loved the psychological aspect of this book and the way the main character's life changed in a literal instant. That's always an aspect of real life that blows my mind, and he just brings it to a whole new level. So that book takes place in the early 2000s, and I feel like it is a lesser known book of his, and I have also started recommending it to people who want to start out with an easy entry into the Stephen King world. It's not scary. It's psychological, shorter. It's just an overall good beginning Stephen King book. So if you haven't read anything by him, that's a good starter. Is it shorter than, is it like normal book size? Is it one of his grande ones? It's small. Okay. It's, I want to say around 300 pages. Okay. Somewhere that's pretty in that standard. Realm. Yeah. Not for him. He's like a 500 guy. Well, which is why it's good for starters. I get exactly. that. Exactly. That yeah. was not my starter, but we'll yeah. get there. Yeah. The Mr. Mercedes series is next. It's not really called the Mr. Mercedes series. I call it that. It's called the Bill Hodges series, named after the main character. But I prefer calling it the Mr. Mercedes series because it's the name of the first book. This series starts out as a cop slash crime fiction and eventually grows into more of a paranormal plot as the books progress. The Outsider is a sister book to this series, which is definitely a paranormal story. The Outsider was also developed into a show on HBO. The opening scene in the first Mr. Mercedes book, which is called Mr. Mercedes, <laughs> is bone chilling. And when we talked earlier about shock factors, that scene is probably the most defined scene when it comes to shock. I do not want to spoil any of that scene, so I'm not going to go into it any further than that. But it is a scene in a book that has stuck with me for actual years it's tragic disturbing and of course shocking but it is such a hook for the story and it's incredible my number one book we've already talked about everything's eventual not only does that book have the scariest story in it for me at least probably isn't even scary at all (laughs) does it have feelings or something no that's only Kristen hannah's book but it also has another great story in there Uh, That also stuck with me. And it's 1408, which is also a great movie with John Cusack. There is not a story in that book that I did not enjoy. And I just love short, short, short stories in general. And that propelled my love for them. So. That's precious. Thank you. And I truly thank you for not taking your real favorite book. Well, you threatened me. Yeah. You threatened my life, actually. Yes. So you recommended it to me, but I've only read three books, so I need every Stephen King book I've read to make up my top three. So thank you. Yes, you're welcome. So 11-22-63 is a really in-depth book where the main premise is going back in time to stop the JFK assassination. We've talked about it a few times throughout this episode already mentioned how hefty it is it is big but honestly it's just so well done the character development is built so well the research is impeccable there's side plots that aren't too distracting there's like love story there's suspense there's all these other crazy characters and just so much going on it gets pretty 
paranormal-ish with the time travel, yeah. but it does it so well and it like adds to the suspense. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's really good. For the record, this is my actual all-time <laughs> favorite Stephen King book. But as Kimmy said, she needed it. Thank you. <laughs> so I'm not really going in order like you. I think I'm going first to last. So okay. second, which would be second regardless of what <laughs> I would be going in, is Dolores Claiborne. I loved this book. I just finished it today, actually. I listened to the audiobook, which really brought it to life. Because the story is written as a monologue from Dolores' perspective as she's being interrogated by police for the murder of Vera Donovan. This one is touted mostly as a psychological thriller. It's very captivating. But also at times you're wondering where things are going and how things are connected. But you're still hooked and it's just... It's just one that like keeps you interested, even if you're not sure where the plot is at that time. Does it? It sounds kind of like a uh, Zoe Spanos esque, um, with being interrogated for a murder. I mean, maybe only that, but nothing else. No, it is like I keep trying to connect this book to other books. I don't know why. I don't know. I don't know. Honestly, it's very interesting. It's not long. It is weird to think about that she's like in there this whole time, not really being questioned. And the way it's done, too, is like sometimes she talks to those people like in the room, like the Mm. stenographer and the detectives, but that you don't ever hear their response. Weird. Yeah. And so she's like, hey, Frank, can you pour me another glass of of water? Oh, well, she does get whiskey, too. Oh, (laughs) spoiler alert. (laughs) But because she's like getting hardcore in the story, and so I, apparently he's like, oh, okay, yeah, I get it, I get it. <laughs> so it's just interesting. You can hear the pouring sounds. Weird. So I'm listening to Bag of Bones right now, which is also another one of his books, and there's music playing in it, like on the really tense parts, like it, like you would oh. in a movie. So in Dolores Claiborne. Whenever she has that window open to the chick from Gerald's game, uh-huh. it plays weird sounds, like kind of music, oh. but like very like new agey, like, and at first, the first time it happened, I was like, yes. is there an ad open on my phone? Yes. Like, what is going on? Yes. I was like, who has music playing? <laughs> and it's connected to my AirPods. I was so confused. Yeah. I thought somebody in the house like connected to my AirPods. I'm like, where is this coming from? That's hilarious. And then I thought I was also losing it. I was like, there's no music <laughs> playing. Yeah. So be prepared for that if you listen to Dolores. Yeah. Uh, then my third is Billy Summers. And this is the story of a hitman with a very strong moral code. Some side plots, some shock value. You know what? You've read that one, too. I have. Let's just break that one down in depth on our next episode. Okay. I'm very curious to see how people feel about it. I find that people new to Stephen King like it more than longtime Stephen King fans. Those were the harshest critics of this book. I know I was one of them. I personally... Some time has passed. So, from what I remember, and I feel like it... It has been changing a bit, but I loved it in the beginning. Loved it. I did too. The luster started to fade in the middle. I hated the shock value. The end was pretty good for the most part. That justice. Yeah. 
And I did like the like I liked the twist in the end. I didn't like some of the how the twist happened, I guess. Yeah. But so. we have lots of thoughts on that. We'll get to that next week. Or excuse me, next episode. We don't do weekly anymore. <laughs> Sorry. We busy. <laughs> we busy. Now that you've humored me and read three whole Stephen King books, including one I didn't even tell you to read, that I've never even read, are you done with him or are you going to read more? What's going to happen? You know, I do get sucked into his writing. I don't even love everything about his books. I will probably avoid his true horror ones. I am curious about many of them, though. For example, you know I am obsessed with dystopia. So I'm intrigued by The Running Man. That one is written under his pseudonym, and it was written in 1985. It would have been funnier if it was written in 1984, but whatever. (laughs) About the year 2025, which is always fun when dystopian novels catch up to that. The premise, though, sounds to me like a hybrid of Ready Player One and The Hunger Games. And well, color me intrigued. That's definitely one that you're going to have to read that I won't touch. <laughs> um, I would like you to read it in 2025, though. Ooh, okay. Put it on hold. Did you really me. look at your watch to see what year it was? <laughs> it's no. a... Oh, oh, hold on. That's what? Four, three? Uh, it's years from now. <laughs> well, I also want to read another book by him. <laughs> called The Dead Zone. I have read a few different synopsis of this book. And it kind of gave me reverse 112263 vibes. Instead of trying to go back in time and stop evil in the past, it's someone who can see the evil inside people and is trying to stop it in the future, which also is kind of Dolores Claiborne to a degree with that third eye thing. Either way, I think it sounds pretty good. Yeah, that one does. And then finally, there's Lissy's life. I think it's Lissy's. Lissy's story. I have read that this main character may be based off of Stephen King's wife, Tabitha. I've also heard it's Stephen King's favorite of his own work, and that it is both spine-tingling and has raw emotional truths. It's about a widow who is sorting through her husband of 25 years things and has to grapple with some of the darkness he faced. I'm sure it's fantastic. I want to read that one too. Uh, Stephen King was recently on an episode of the new show Sunday Morning, where he talked about specifically about this book, even though it's not newer. I think it's like 2007-ish is when it was published. Um, But he said it's one of his favorites that he ever wrote, and it is based off of his wife. Um, It's like she thinks I just pulled this shit out of my ass. Thanks for for confirming. Did you watch the episode, though? No. Oh, that's... I got it elsewhere. Oh, just confirming he says it in multiple places, maybe? Okay. Yes. I got it off Wikipedia. I got it off the Wikipedia. That is not a trusted, I didn't get reputable <laughs> I source, didn't get Kimberly. I didn't check the sources either. Mm, cite I just your sources. You need to cite your sources at the end of this, please. Um. Anyway, <laughs> that's one that I want to read. Uh, it's one of the t- ones on the top of my list. It's kind of a mashup of a good marriage. As well as Bag of Bones. So when you loved one you're not into yet? Yeah. Okay. So uh, I actually lent that one to my husband. And he is supposed to be reading it. But it's 
not being read. So I'm going to steal that one. Maybe back. one day he'll listen and be reminded. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I, th- I think maybe he'll listen to this one. Ooh. I wouldn't hold my breath. Oh. <laughs> I love you in case you did, honey. <laughs> Thank you for all of your support. I think you're nice. <laughs> I think you're nice. I think you're swell. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, getting back to what we're here for, Stephen King. Um, I also want to get to the Green Mile and Firestarter. I'm in the middle of reading The Shining, like I said. Um, I haven't I heard never... of the Firestarter. Sorry, dude. It's pretty popular. Oh. It's about fire and starting it. Really? I've only read books about keeping it. Oh. And the daughters of those who do keep it. And, yeah. <laughs> I can't keep up with your wit. <laughs> So going back, you're in the middle of The Shining. Sorry. I'm in the middle of The Shining. I never really wanted to read this because of how much Stephen King hated the movie. And I loved the movie so much. The book is usually better. And I really didn't want to hate the movie. I will still love the movie. I've become an adult about it, regardless of how this ends. I'm so proud of you. Yeah. I've grown. <laughs> I think I am definitely... More on the side of there being some sort of Stephen King for everyone. It's really insane just how much he has out there. Short stories, huge stories, regular size stories. Not only so many genres, but fiction and some nonfiction too. Which you've read one of? I have. It's part memoir, part writing advice? Yeah. I think that sounds good. I'll pro- I might read that one. It's really good. So there's a lot out there. But we definitely encourage you to look into some of his books. There is a reason that he is quite possibly the most famous author of our time. His writing is gripping. His storylines are just entrancing. And even if you aren't reading for thrills, he has something and it will make you feel something. We hope that we either introduced you to some new Stephen King books that you may not have read yet or encouraged you to read one of his books for the first time. Please tell us your favorite Stephen King books and which ones you think we would like. We hope that you enjoyed this week's episode of the Lost Chill Podcast. Please help our podcast to reach more listeners by subscribing and leaving a review. We read every single one together and jump up and down screaming with glee every single time. So you know we just truly appreciate it. And that is a true story, folks. (laughs) It's very true. If you can't get enough of the Lost Chill Podcast, check out our website, thelostchill.com, for blog posts and more fun. Also, consider becoming a Patreon supporter for exclusive content and swag. We are constantly improving and growing our offerings, so be sure to check back often. If it's additional reviews and cute puppies that you're after, follow us on Instagram at Katie's Lost Chill and at Kimmy's Lost Chill. Follow The Lost Chill as well to get all of the latest information on upcoming books to be featured, upcoming author chats, giveaways, and so much more. Thanks for tuning in. See you next time. Bye. Aww.